Listener supported. WNYC Studios. A warning. This episode contains some explicit language. Previously on this season. I've known an awful lot of the head coaches at Columbia through the years, and uh, many of them were good coaches. And yet the vast majority of them, I believe, were fired. Do you think God cares who wins today? Well, honestly, God is one of the best team to win. Like, I don't think God God doesn't favor. Like, I don't think so. I don't think I'm so. surprised it's this bad. I think Columbia at this point seems to have kind of lost their intensity. So, yeah, we'll see. It can't get much worse, in sports at least, than traveling five or six hours by bus for a beatdown. And if I'm being honest, it's also hard to get excited about the long trip to go cover one. Hello. Hey. Which is exactly what my producer Matt and I are doing for the Lions game against Dartmouth. We leave Brooklyn early Saturday morning to get out to Lebanon, New Hampshire for a mid-afternoon game. Things are not promising. The Dartmouth team is undefeated this season. And their quarterback, Dalen Williams, supposedly, maybe, could be a -a once-in-a-decade phenom. Every win so far has been by at least three touchdowns. How are you feeling? Good. Kind of tired. Yeah, me too. I do like being up at this hour, actually. We never flat-out promised this would be a turnaround story, but we definitely hoped it would be one. And maybe we drank the Kool-Aid ourselves, because right now it feels like this story is more about what it's like to lose and then lose again, and then lose again. Maybe with a win thrown in, just for good measure. Things have improved for the Lions, sure, but this does not look like an actual turnaround, at least not yet. The Lions' last loss against Penn at homecoming, right after their first win in years, it devastated me. I know, I'm not even a sports guy. I could grab a coffee or something. I went to the bodega, and then the dude was like, oh, I didn't make any coffee yet. And I was like... (laughs) Why? You had one thing to do. Make coffee. Continue on I-270 East for a half mile. Cities are so magical before 8 a.m., don't you think? So here we are. Five losses and one win against, let's face it, a weak opponent. And now they're up against a scary good team. It's not going to be nice for the Lions, it doesn't sound like, but... No, the question is if they can even, like, just put up a fight and, like, hold their own and, like, lose nobly. And their defense is good. If they can, like, revive like revive the defense and just try to keep Dartmouth's points down, that would be, that would be beautiful. Yeah, but Dartmouth is just... It seems like it's going to be very, very hard for them because I think they're just a very strong all-around team. The best team that they've faced this year and, you know, probably Ivy League champions. So, like I said... A long journey to a likely beatdown. Hello and welcome to the season. I'm Ilya Meritz. What everybody says the Lions need is this thing called mental toughness. And I've heard that phrase many, many times, and I always kind of ignored it. Mental toughness. What does that even mean? It sounds like a word on an inspirational poster, maybe with a picture of a jet fighter or a surfer riding a wave. Then again, maybe Matt and I could use some mental toughness. We don't have the stomach for another episode trying to draw lessons from losing. Uh. Well, this episode, I want to figure this thing out. Mental toughness. 
We'll get to what happened this week in Dartmouth, but first we're going to go deep on how you handle a breakdown. You'll hear from the players, then three wise men. Sorry, they are all men, including a management professor, a chaplain, and a former coach who's been through so much worse than losing on the playing field. War, public disgrace, feeling like a failure. Scooter Hollis, a Lions wide receiver from Kentucky, says when things go wrong on the field, it's easy to lose focus. You can definitely tell when your teammates, you know, thinking about something else other than the current play. If something else is affecting him, uh, you have to immediately talk to him, try to try to be the voice inside his head instead of himself, sort of get him out of his head. If you can't pull your man back into the moment, he's stuck in a fog. I think we let that happen to us last weekend, and we just let one bad play lead to another, and then we look up and, you know, we're in a pretty tight spot, and then uh, we just we didn't handle it well. Marshall Markham, a senior offensive lineman from Texas, says mental toughness is generally not pre-installed software. You have to learn it. Well, for me, for a long time, it was it was tough. I'd let, you know, pass plays influence how I played throughout the game, but I've really focused on just the next play. So we go three and out, I get onto the sideline, it's over, next drive. You could just call this grit, seeing what you did wrong, understanding it, adjusting, and then moving on, just moving on. That's part of it, too. The thing is, it's hard to get this balance right. If you don't learn the lessons, you won't improve. But if you can't let go of your mistakes, you'll probably flub the next move, too. Bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. All that shit from last weekend, you gotta make that in your butt. You gotta look at yourself every morning, know you're a good football player, and this is a good fucking football team. Let's get it. Family on three. One, two, three, family. So, back on Tuesday, four days before the Dartmouth game, it's the first practice after the horrible pen game, Matt is there, I'm not. And what I think is really interesting here is a lot of the guys on the team, they turn to God for guidance on the field. This is where we meet wise man number one, Jim Davis. He's a volunteer chaplain who's with the team every Tuesday. At the end of practice, some guys go to the weight room, others stretch with their position groups. And about a dozen guys make their way to the center of the field toward Jim. These huge football players, still in their pads and uniforms, take each other's hands, and form a circle over the big Columbia Sea at the 50-yard line. I ask them to go ahead and start, and whoever on the team feels like praying out, whatever's on their heart, they do. And then at the end, when it begins to get quiet, I think, okay, I think they're probably done at this point. And then I pray for a couple minutes, and, and, um, and then we end it. I don't have numbers to back this up, but it seems like this football team is more religious, or at least more Christian, than other undergrads at Columbia. Many of the guys come from religious high schools, lots of Bible verses listed in their Twitter bios. Jim says someone religious can find guidance in Scripture. Take Psalms. Uh, one of the Psalms says, How good and pleasing it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And so one of the things we were encouraging the guys who come from a faith background is saying, Look, when things get hard, you are the guys that can bring life and unity and a bigger picture into the situation that you all are facing. The whole prayer circle goes for about 10 minutes, which is honestly a long time when you have to catch a bus back down to campus. But it's a time for these guys to just stop for a moment and think about the bigger picture, whatever that is. Here's senior wide receiver Josh Foster. Football is definitely a mental game, and just being able to just have something that can keep things in perspective and be able to get your mind back on track knowing that there's something bigger than the last play and the play before the game before is definitely helpful. And of course, the prayer circle is also a time to think about football some more. Chaplain Jim Black again. I think obviously the game against Penn 
really disappointing. And I think they felt like, okay, now's the test, right? We haven't been tested. Are we going to fall back into some of the old mindset and habits that we had in the past? Or are we going to persevere through this thing? We're praying for it. (laughs) We're praying for strength and resiliency after Penn to continue to press on and do well. Wise man number one says, let the big guy up in the sky help carry your burden. And for some players, that works. Wise man number two comes from a bleaker place. Can I quote Beckett here? Ever tried, ever failed. No matter. Try again, fail again, fail better. About 25 miles south of Dartmouth, there's a man living in a cabin in the woods with two dogs. I don't know whether he has waiting for a Godot on his nightstand, but this man knows Columbia football intimately. And I think it's safe to say he also knows more about adversity than anyone else I've talked with for this podcast. Good job. Good job. Nice defense. Good job. Larry McElreevy was the third head coach since the streak began. But he had seen tougher times than these. He'd faced combat in Vietnam and won a bronze star. So he approached this new battle with confidence. Here he is in that superlative 1988 sports doc, The Streak Ends. Coach Larry McElreevy stands on the sidelines of Columbia Stadium in a white shirt and tie and a mop top. He's clapping and shouting encouragement. This is the man who led the team that broke the streak. Need a great catch out of you. Need a great catch out of you. He outjumped you. Today he's thinner and his hair is whiter. Ending the streak should have made Larry McElreevy's reputation. Instead, the very next month, he was out of a job. So what has he been up to this past quarter century? Well, uh, I I have to be frank about that. Uh, I I would deem it as failure. We meet at a diner, he suggests, off the interstate. In addition to our regular menu today, gentlemen, we have our breakfast buffet. Larry McElreevy did not want to stop coaching Columbia, but shortly after the streak ended, the Lions' offensive coordinator went on TV and told the world McElreevy drank on the job. It was so bad, he sometimes reeked of alcohol. At the time, McElreevy denied he was an alcoholic. Today, he admits it was true. His marriage was also breaking down. He was accused of adultery. That part is not true, he says. And so, in the space of six weeks, Larry McElreevy had Gatorade poured over him in an historic win. And then he watched his life go into tailspin. I spent a couple of years wallowing in self-pity about that, which I'm not real happy with myself about doing. I'm angry at myself for doing it. And so I worked in the, the NFL for a year as a scout. And then I, you know, sold cars. Actually, the car business probably got my self-respect back more than anything. I was a top salesperson for like 13 years at one dealership, you know, month after month. You know, I got divorced right after the whole Columbia thing. My, you know, the marriage was not good during the Columbia thing. It was falling apart then. So I lived in a cemetery with a blind guy and a CNI dog. Uh, for real? For real. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's a whole, that's, that's a three-hour dissertation right there. That was a, and uh, I'm still friends with him. And I, I just flew around. And then it's finally, it's only in the last probably seven years that I really, you know, I've, haven't drank now, I think it's 14 years, uh, and life is great from that standpoint. But I've been frustrated because I'm, I know I'm a good coach. I can recruit with the best of them. I prove that down there. This might be the part of breaking the streak that makes Larry McElreevy most proud. He had to recruit players to Columbia while the team went 44 games without a win. And guys he recruited say he was tenacious. After leaving Columbia, McElreevy drifted, but his mind couldn't quit football. 
Eventually he got to coaching middle school and now high school. That's his job. And his team is undefeated this season. And uh, as my daughter says, Dad, you still got your mojo. So I get a, I get a kick out of that. So, and uh, we all learn through our experiences. I've learned a great deal since that time. Unfortunately, I can't go back and change things. I wish I could. You know, that, that, that probably will haunt me more than anything is, is when, you know, when things fell apart at Columbia, there's only one person to look at in the mirror, and that's me. Uh, and, and I will forever have it. I don't blame what happened with my coaches. I don't blame it on players. I don't blame it on it. I blame it that if I had done things differently or if I had made better choices, uh, the whole world might be different. My world might be different right now, but that's not going to change. So, What he really wants is to try it again. He wants to coach college football. I'm ready, he says. I read a quote from you in one of the local papers where you were talking about um, trying to find uh, other jobs at other colleges because you want to coach at the college yeah. level. And you said that you could wallpaper your house with the rejection letters. Oh, I could. Actually, I could wallpaper two houses now with the letters of rejection. I've kept all of them. Oh, yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> you know uh, and uh, that's, uh, that's the way it is. You know, I used to believe, and years ago, you got a football job because you're a good coach. Today, it's not the case today. Uh, you've got to know somebody, and I've never been a great network marketer. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I've learned too. I try to, you know, stay in touch with some coaches now, and, and so on. And and you never know. I mean, life is—you uh, can't predict even ten seconds from now. You know, I could get home, and there might be a phone call from somebody saying, "Hey, Mac, you know, are you interested in?" You know, but as I look at it, you know, I'm starting over again. Uh, middle school, high school, little college, you know, and I might get that next head job maybe when I'm 80. Uh, you know, but again, I don't feel 80. And what? Then Colonel Sanders built Kentucky Fried Chicken when he was 76 or something. So you know, this hope for me. The man is 69 years old, and he's determined. We've got to be proactive and go out there and, and rub elbows, and that's that's the reality of it. Yeah, so I will continue to do so probably till uh, I'll be writing a letter when they're planting me in the ground. I'll have partial letter written or whatever. <laughs> if you're in New England, you can catch Larry McElreevy's Newport High School Tigers on Halloween. They're playing Newfound Regional High School, strange name, in Newport, New Hampshire. It's a home game. If they win this game, they'll be top seed for state championships. I've talked with plenty of people who are more successful than Larry McElreevy on paper. But when I parted ways with him, I felt like this guy is actually a guru. The upside of hard experience is mental toughness. Wise man number three is waiting for us at the game. It's the first game I'm going to in five years or ten years. I want to know what's going on. <laughs> Fourth down, okay. My name is Sidney Finkelsey. I'm a professor at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College. I do a lot of work on failure and mistakes, learning from mistakes, and lately uh, a lot on trying to understand how to generate talent in an organization. A Canadian who likes football. Up there, they also call it football. Professor Finkelstein has interviewed dozens and dozens of executives in depth about how they've screwed up and how they've succeeded. After each interview, he goes through his transcripts carefully, trying to tease out the common experiences. He actually puts interviews into spreadsheets. I can't quite picture it. So I've promised Professor Finkelstein that we will watch a bloodbath together. His job is to make it educational. Business is about, about life. It's about leadership. It's about creating a team. It's about trying to accomplish a, a goal. And that's true for sports. It's true for life. It's true for everything. I actually think uh, thing about um, you know, what, what rattles you and doesn't, doesn't rattle you 
one of the things they always said about Derek Jeter that made him so great is didn't matter what he did in his last at bat, it was 100% forgotten the next time. And even the successes, you know, if you start thinking about that too much, then you end up in trouble as well. So uh, there is some kind of special ability, compartmentalize or, or selectively forget, which is a really important component to change in organizations. And I am shocked to be telling you this, but the Lions have forgotten all their mess-ups from last week. Well, blocking the point the after so is a that's good nice. start. That's nice, yeah. That's real good. And they're actually playing really well. Selective forgetting. That's a part of mental toughness, too. I'm not going to be able to stay for the second half. With his lesson imparted, wise man number three takes his leave. So it's the third quarter. Dartmouth is up on Columbia, 13-3. to The Lions defense has been squeezing the team, now known as the Big Green. Such an unsatisfying name. They used to be called the Indians. So, anyway. Lions offense is still having difficulty putting points on the board. But they hold the ball for 13 plays, moving it from the Columbia 21-yard line to the Dartmouth 2-yard line. That's a great, nice Columbia offense! That's Columbia offense, that drive! It's third down. The Lions are spitting distance from scoring. Quarterback Skylar Morningweg has the ball. He's hopping to the right, looking for an opening. His offensive line can't hold back the big green much longer. And he has to make a choice. And he throws the ball towards number 10, a wide receiver who's behind the goal line on the painted turf U in the name Dartmouth. It's a clean throw. And 10 clamps down on the ball and is tackled to the ground a split second later by a Dartmouth man. Touchdown, and number ten does this adorable little dance. Uh, yeah, it felt good. Um, it was only my third college catch ever, so I mean, it was cool that it was a touchdown. His name is Dylan Weldon. He's a sophomore from Nevada with shoulder-length blonde hair. For me, before every play, I just like I get these nerves, and then once the ball snap, they all just go away, and I'm just kind of free, and I just I just play my game. And uh, when the ball's in the air, I just thought I better catch this, or uh, people, a lot of people are gonna be mad at me. I feel like you guys showed so much more toughness in this game than in the last one, and I'm wondering how you got there. We were all very disappointed in last week. I think last week we were pushing a little too hard. It was homecoming, it was Penn, so that was a big deal. But uh, I think this week we just went out and we played our game. We just went out there and tried to show everybody what we're made of. Fourth quarter, it's Dartmouth 13, Columbia 9. And now Dartmouth is getting a lot of penalties. By the end of the game, they will have racked up 17. Get it out there, get it out there, get it out there! Come on! Come on! No, get it out! Get it out! Run! Unbelievably enough, the thing that Penn did to Columbia last weekend, it seems like Columbia is doing that same thing to Dartmouth. The Big Green is clearly rattled, including their star quarterback, number 10, Dalen Williams. Unsportsmanlike conduct, offense number 10. That is his first unsportsmanlike conduct foul. Lions say they saw him throw a punch. I'm watching with David and Marek Svoboda, brothers from the Czech Republic. They're here with their friend Eric, who's from Burundi. Marek and Eric were Columbia undergrads. Now they're first-year medical students at Dartmouth, and they very much want the Big Green to lose. It's coming. It's coming. I feel it in my bones. With less than two minutes remaining, the Lions get the ball. And they turn it around. Well, now they have 25 seconds. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. They're ready with the marching bands. Yeah. Victory formation for the Big Green, and that should do it. 
It wasn't pretty, but the Big Green remained undefeated. Final score, Dartmouth 13, Columbia 9. The Lions held Dartmouth to their lowest point total all season. It's uh, cheese pizza, pepperoni pizza, buffalo chicken sandwich, or a chicken parm sandwich. Now the Lions are picking their dinner and carrying pizza boxes and polystyrene clamshells onto the bus. It's going to be a stinky ride home. I feel satisfied. Matt says this was his favorite game so far. But a loss is a loss. And as the Lions themselves are fond of saying, there are no moral victories. That's the difference between young teams and veteran teams. I said we'd meet three wise men, but I found a fourth. Jeff Adams is one of a small number of Columbia Lions to make it to the NFL. He plays for the Houston Texans, though he has a knee injury at the moment. He says so much of success comes down to this part of mental toughness, staying in the moment when you're on the field. It's non-negotiable. You watch the Patriots play. They've been so great for so long because they have every guy out there believes in the fact that they're going to win. They don't worry about, you know, oh, Tom Brady just threw an interception or, you know, we're down, you know, 14 points. We're down 17 with, you know, and we're in the third quarter. They don't worry about They just know that they're worried about the next play. They're worried about the guy in front of them, what their job is and getting that job done. And sometimes... Getting the job done means getting hurt. Next week, physical toughness. Maybe you've heard, football is brutal on the body. You know, the best way to prevent injury is to hit harder. Lineman Hunter Little, you're going to have to explain that. Bruises and scrapes and broken bones and concussions and Jack Kerouac. Next time on The Season. By the way, the Lions are 1-5 and five at this point with just four more chances to win. The next team they face is Yale. The season is produced by Matt Collette with engineering by Casey Means. We're edited by Karen Frillman with Sean Bowditch and Charlie Herman. Jim Schachter is WNYC's vice president for news. Some of the music you've heard was recorded by the Columbia University Marching Band. I'm Ilya Meritz. Thank you for listening. <laughs>